know you rednecks are kissing my ass because you want to see him again. Let me tell you something, fat girl. If you don't sit out with all those damn hot dogs, I'm going to pull a tow truck up in here and hold your ass out of here. Welcome to Keep It 2000, a joke that turned into a wrestling podcast that has revealed itself to be a psychological experiment. I am Brian Mann, and I am being joined by my fellow test subject, Nate Milton. Nate, how are we doing? Do you realize this is episode 9? Do you think we should keep going, or should we cut this thing off before we hit double digits? I, I think we, we're too far down the path now. We're too far down the rabbit hole. We cannot let the listeners down, although I, I keep saying uh, that once we hit that... Uh, infamous or, or some would say legendary battle dome invasion I, I might have to call it quits because that that uh is not only going to be the end of this podcast for me but it might be the end of my broadcast career because obviously i can't go any higher than that well clearly marty DeRosa is just itching to come back to be able to review that last month of uh nitros but nate it is not just you and i we are joined by a guest test subject someone to be our control kind of uh compare how we react to this episode with and believe it or not, he's actually the boss of last week's guest, James McKenna. Yes, that's right. The editor-in-chief of Pro Wrestling Sheet and a former senior producer at TMZ, Ryan Satin, is here on the satellite with us. Ryan, thanks for stopping by. How you doing? I'm doing decent, but especially after watching this episode. But, um, yeah, no, I'm doing good, and thanks for having me. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the show. I listen to it every week, so I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. It's great to it's great to have you here. Even though pulling the curtain back a little bit, uh, you're coming to us fresh out of the ER. You, you watched <laughs> this episode, and your immediate reaction was to slice your finger open with glass. I, as you said before, I needed to feel something after that terrible episode. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was yeah. I sliced my finger. I went to the ER. I was I was a. Uh, I threw away a lamp a few days ago and forgot about it, and when I was pushing my trash bag into the trash chute, I sliced my finger open, and uh, the next few hours were were pretty crappy, but uh, I'm glad we get to do this now because I didn't want to watch that episode for nothing. How how angry would you have been if you're just sitting in the ER and you're like, fuck? (laughs) Yeah, you're the first person I wrote as I I was literally in my apartment bleeding, and I was like, man, I'm not going to watch that for nothing. I I got (laughs) to write Brian right now. And I don't want to like I don't want to lag too long, so I got to let him know. Well, uh, speaking of writing, there we tease it off the top. You are the editor in chief of Pro Wrestling Sheet, which is a uh, a site that I love going on, and I, I send people there as frequently as I can. And I just wanted to real quick to 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 plug your shit off the top. What is kind of your philosophy behind Pro Wrestling Sheet, and how is it different than say some of the other dirt sheets uh, that cover the industry? Well, first, thank you. I'm glad you like the site and that you direct people my way. And to answer your question, you know, when I was at TMZ, 
I, you know, I got to I got to see what a fake story can do to someone's career or just to their life in general and how how much it affects people and it, and it really bothered me. Um, and say what you you know say what people want to think about TMZ, but when I was there, I really got to see what that how that how the wrestling industry was affected the most by it. You know, there's all these rumors that get out about people and it and it really tarnishes their their career sometimes when a lot of times it isn't necessarily even true. And and that really always bothered me that that the wrestling industry relied so heavily on rumors and gossip and that there wasn't one news source that 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 was out there that people felt like they could trust. And so I, I over the past year and a half since I've started the site uh, I, I've really, really tried to stress that, it, you know, when you come to my site, you don't have to say, I, you know, if that's true or I wonder if that's true. You can you can feel comfortable coming to my site and knowing that you're reading something that is accurate. Mm. Yeah, I remember I know that uh, for the one of the really first times that you jumped up on my radar was that whole fake Bobby Heenan Twitter account that, that popped up. And mm-hmm. I the thing that I really appreciated that, that you did that I think kind of separates you guys from a lot of other sites is that – you actually got on the phone, you actually called people, you actually did some investigative reporting. And I think that, you know, the fact that you have that background, TMZ, you've actually been uh, in a newsroom and you've actually seen that sort of stuff firsthand versus not to name any other sites or anyone else. But I think a lot of people just kind of are, you know, sitting on a computer and typing up opinions and rumors and things they heard somewhere else. And that really is where I think of that whole dirt sheet thing. I know that just for me personally, there's been times where like I've tweeted something, for example, and places have run it as a story. And at no point did anyone reach out to me for verification or or even if the smallest thing, like reach out and request an interview. Like get yourself some content, yeah. guys. Like that's 101 stuff. But it's just a lot of, you know, just typing stuff up and, and, and going with the, with the way. So it's good hearing from you that kind of what your philosophy behind the site is and how you separate it from everyone else. Well, yeah, I appreciate that, and and you know when I was at TMZ, the reason I you know I mentioned so often that I was a T, you know senior producer at TMZ is because I was you know running the website on the weekends, you know me Harvey and another producer, but you know I was the one in the office basically running the site on the weekends, and there were big non wrestling stories that were you know huge stories in entertainment that I broke as well, um, and and it really it really did give me training for running my own website now and so uh I, you know i love doing it it's great it's been it's been awesome i feel like most people you know once they find my site and see what i'm doing they, they get behind it well obviously continued luck into the future uh but enough about the present and the future let's talk about the past let's talk about where you were at in 2000 uh what were your wrestling viewing habits in 2000 and was wcw a part of it Absolutely. Uh, my brother and I, especially at this time, my brother and I were super into wrestling. And because I really got into it around uh, 97, like when, when Mick Foley got thrown off the Hell in a Cell is when I really, really got into wrestling. And so, uh, yeah, at this point, we were still full throttle on it. And, you know, I, as much as I was a big WWE fan, I, I was a big you know DX guy and The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin I was still loyal, you know, watching WCW with Thunder and Nitro every week. And <laughs> and it's funny because, Nate, you know, when, when you guys first started the show, I remember you talked about how you had this very fond view of WCW and, and, and the NWO, Black and Silver, and you were worried that this would tarnish your memory of it. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, 
I have the exact same view. Like, I was like, oh, you know, I loved WCW. I loved all that stuff. And since I've been listening to the show, I'm like, yeah, that really was it really was worse than I remember it, you know? And then having to watch this the whole time, uh, I, I had the same feeling as you had back then. But, yeah, at the time, I was loyal. I watched ECW, WCW. There was XPW out here. Um, that's when I was probably at my biggest level of fandom. Now, I think, Brian, we, we've stumbled across a, a discovery here on the Satellite of Hate. We, we found the the guest that is actually was more invested in WCW in 2000 than I was because I <laughs> sure as sure as hell wasn't watching Thunder. I think I was watching like Martin or Living Single on Thursday nights, but I damn sure wasn't watching Thunder. Well, I'm I'm you know I'm only at that time I was still in like middle school, high school, not even I was like mainly middle school, high school, freshman year, something like that. So, uh, so yeah, I had a lot more time at home to watch television. <laughs> Let's take a look back at some of the other things that are happening at this time as well. Uh, now, I also tease off the top there, Nate, that this was the end of Black History Month. And what a great way to end Black History Month, Nate. The South Carolina Fundamentalist College, Bob Jones University, announced that it was lifting its ban on interracial dating. Yes, this was 17 years ago, not 117 years ago, Nate. But we take the victories where we can get them. Hey, I, I think I can speak for, you know, anybody that has been in an interracial racial relationship before. Uh, you know, thank you, uh, Bob Jones, for moving at least one step into the 20th century. Uh, granted, if, if you know anything about Bob Jones currently, uh, they're still probably, I wouldn't say they're in 2017. Maybe they're like in 1987. Uh, so they, st- they still got a little ways to go so they can catch up with the rest of us. But, yes, uh, uh, there, there, was, uh, there was much rejoicing around the nation uh, when, when, when that uh, was, was, was announced. No, I was just saying, I don't even remember that. That's crazy. That's like in my lifetime that something that still happened. I'm blown, all, blown away all the time by stuff like that. Now, moving over to the music beat, in honor of our Californian guest, uh, let's look at the alternative charts and what was topping over there. And the number one spot, actually beginning a 13-week reign of terror on the alternative charts, was Other Side by Red Hot Chili Peppers. I don't know why they're always they're such a big thing. I've never been super into Red Hot Chili Peppers. I loved I loved it. I love this show and I love the dynamic because you would think if you are buying into stereotypes, perhaps you're on the board at Bob Jones University, you would think out of the three of us, I would be the one least inclined to like Red Hot Chili Peppers. But I, I'm I'm a big fan. Like I, I was down with them since they were doing like Stevie Wonder covers and they had like more of a P funk type of sound uh but yeah I, I was a big fan of chili peppers and i remember really liking this album i think uh what it had scar tissue uh, around the world californication like i i dug that record well that's the thing it's kind of like chill bro music kind of and that's just yeah. not something that i go in for that often hey see this, this, this was in my wheelhouse though because you're talking about 2000 so I was just a cup a year or so removed from college, and so I'm in that uh, that young single man phase of my life. Even though now I'm still kind of in a older single man phase, uh, <laughs> but uh, le- less about that, more about the Chili Peppers. So this is my jam, like you know, uh, 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 around the world. I'm just walking, around, hey, all around the world, we can make time, romping and stomping because I'm in my prime. I, 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 I live those lyrics. I believe those lyrics. So yes, that 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 album spoke to me. And the bass line is dope on, yes. on almost all of those songs. 
Nate, I can just see you pulling up to pick a girl up for a date, and you've got your CD wallet on the visor uh, uh, <laughs> on the driver's side, and you've got, like, Californication, and you've got Santana Supernatural and the WCW Mayhem CD just all up there waiting for uh, – what, where the, the night might take you. Hey, 2000, you, me and my black Chevy Cavalier, you couldn't stop me. <laughs> Well, with that in mind, guys, let's go ahead and jump in and start talking about this episode that Ryan literally shed blood for. <laughs> well, it just made me laugh because I, beforehand, when, when you told me which one to watch, he, he told me, Nate, he said, uh, this this one isn't that awful, surprisingly. And I was like, oh, great. And I, and I got halfway through and I was like, man, I am waiting for the not awful part to start because it's been rough. I told I was like, you guys – have clearly been watching too many of these that you've already gotten that week on what what your what your barometer for not awful is. And this, I think, is where um, I think this is where it's good to have test subjects uh, that are guests, Nate. Because <laughs> I'm going to go on a little. I think this is the best episode we've watched so far. It, I think it's certainly one of the most consistent episodes. <laughs> like I was watching it, and I was like, you know what? This is a solid episode. Dot dot dot. By the standards of 2000 WCW Nitros. And so, yeah, I think, you know, you and I maybe uh, have been conditioned. Maybe we've got a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome going on with uh, Nitro, whereas uh, someone like Ryan coming in with fresh ears and fresh eyes might uh, be able to see this show for what it really is. I, I didn't hate all of it, though. Like, there were, I, like I said, I was a WCW fan, so there were things that it was nice to. Uh, it felt warm to see some of these things again. It was like going back home. It was nice. Our show starts with a generic tough guy rock track and highlights of Sid and Tank's recent wins. These two will be having a match tonight for the world title. Unfortunately, we are also reminded that Sid and Jeff Jarrett is the bigger feud and they will face each other at Uncensored. We are also treated to a supercut of all the H-bombs the Harris brothers dropped last week. This is followed by a rundown of Thunder... And I've honestly never been more confused by 30 seconds of pro wrestling television. Ric Flair to the ring! The baseball bat to the back of the lane! That should be us, man. Let's get some of yeah. them. Damn right. Let's, Let's go. go. What? The executive committee doesn't want you anywhere near ringside tonight. Well, I got a little message. I want you to take to the executive that? committee. Oh. 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 My head was spinning uh, from this. And, and, and to make matters worse, guys... Nothing they showed us from Thunder affected anything on tonight's Nitro. So why do we need to be reminded of this? That's, I, I, I don't have the answer to that. I wish I had the answer. To that. I was actually wondering the exact same thing while I was watching it. I was going to say, I was going to lend the floor to Ryan because he is our Thunder aficionado, but he doesn't have <laughs> any answers. I certainly don't. <laughs> our show starts with the customary limo shot as Sid Vicious is shown arriving at the Target Center earlier in the day. Outside of the Target Center, world champion Sid Vicious arrived with passion, with purpose on his face. His opponent tonight for the WCW world title is none other than Tank Abbott, as these two men will collide in our feature bout here tonight. Now, for all you continuity fans, Tank is actually wearing the jacket he won at Super Brawl against Big Al. In the building, Mike Tanay approaches the Nashville World Order to ask Jarrett about tonight's world title match. Jarrett says that he doesn't care who wins because he's guaranteed a title shot either way. Well, let's just say that Tank Abbott wins the world's title tonight. Do you think you could beat him at Uncensored? Not only do I think I can beat him, I'll guarantee a victory. Take that, slap nuts. 
Now we waste no time off the top as the Mama Luke's theme song plays and out come the WCW tag champs with their manager, Disco Inferno. One of your longtime buddies, right, Ryan? Disco Inferno? <laughs> yeah, it was so funny. I was thinking that too when I had to watch. I was like, of course, the first thing I see is Disco Inferno here. But And I actually forgot that he was kind of their manager for a while, but it, I, I, I liked them together. It worked. I, I, remember the, I remember the Mama Luke's and all that kind of stuff. I liked it. Uh, in the back, Miss Hancock approaches Lenny and Idol, who shoo away Keebler, saying that she's hurting their rat chasing. Hancock responds by saying it's time she teaches them a lesson. Out come Lane and Idol, who apparently are getting a tag title shot here. Lane and Idol get the early advantage to absolutely no heat. Disco is on commentary, complaining about Italian stereotypes. Now, obviously, this title match is just the backdrop to an angle as Miss Hancock makes her way down and joins commentary. So we now have four people on commentary. Hancock says that Lane and Idol need her as a manager. I would be willing to let Miss Hancock manage us, Tony. What do you think? I would agree with that. I think all great tag teams need great, great managers. That's right. It's been a long time since I've been managed by somebody that looks like her, that's for sure. Disco is angry about all the attention that Miss Hancock is getting. Just imagine how the guys in the ring must feel. The Nitro Girls music starts to play, and Stacy gets on the table and starts to dance. Johnny and Lane then stop brawling long enough to pull out singles and offer them to Hancock. Even the referee has stopped paying attention to the match, which allows Disco to leave commentary and hit Lane with one of the tag belts, but he accidentally lays out Vito instead. Look at Johnny the Bull and Lane. High-fiving each other. Finally, something happens in the ring, and Big Vito gets a one, two, three. And we do apologize. There was a match going on, but our attention... I don't apologize. We did it! We did it! I'm the manager champion! Vito gets on the mic and invites Hancock to come in the ring and dance for them. Hancock takes them up, and Johnny the Bull attempts to, like, grind on her from behind, which takes her by surprise, and she's very offended by it. This celebration is cut short, though, as the Harrises enter the ring and deliver some H-bombs to the Mamelukes. The Harrises demand title shots and hold up the belts. Um, wow. A lot happened in this. Um, you might not have known this, but a pro wrestling match happened. The tag titles were on the line. Um... (laughs) I don't know. I mean, taste aside, uh, obviously a segment like this wouldn't really fly today. But even the execution of getting to it, even even having this segment where Stacey Hubler's just going to dance for a while, it did a real disservice to the match. And I'm not saying this is a match that's like worth anything special, but when this is how you're treating one match, it sort of deludes every match in a way. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I almost feel like there were a lot of things to unpack in what you just said there. Like, a lot of stuff happened in this whole entire few minutes. First and foremost, the rats thing. Like, I, that blew my mind. Like, I, 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 Well, that's their main child, gimmick. Yeah. But as a child, that just... I don't even remember that they were dropping lines like that. Like, I remember Lenny, Lane, and Lodi very vividly, and I did not remember that they were talking about their rats all the time and stuff. That was awesome. I love that. Like, I, you wouldn't see that on TV ever. And then I, I Miss Hancock, I, I definitely that that whole thing was 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 crazy because why would every single person turn around during a match just because she started dancing? I, I didn't get that. Well, like we talked about earlier, this is a time before DVR, internet streaming video. Stacy Keebler dancing in front of you is something you should like take notice of and ignore the match at hand. This isn't today where you could just you know go on the WWE Network and watch last week's episode. <laughs> I guess that I guess that's a good point, but I would just think that like if Lenny Lane and Lodi are worried about Miss Hancock messing up their rat intake, that they wouldn't pay attention to her dancing for a minute to beat the Mama Lukes so that they'd go party and get some more afterwards. 
I think being tag champions would up the rat dosage. Yeah, you of course the ups the rat dosage, especially during the Attitude Era. And you would think, as much as they were claiming it, that they wouldn't be getting that many rats necessarily. But if they're the tag champs, of course they're going to get more. <laughs> oh, there's three things to uh, look at right here, brother man and, and and brother Satin. The first thing is going to that backstage segment. I didn't have a problem with the rat reference. I didn't have a problem with Stacy Keebler plotting against Lenny and Lodi. I did have a problem with her announcing her plan as they stepped one step away from her. Like, I'm going <laughs> to teach these guys a lesson. Like, why wouldn't they just turn around and be like, excuse me? Did, did, did you say something? Like, like I, it's that soap opera gimmick of like somebody turns and looks dramatically at the camera and all of a sudden people around them can't hear what they're verbalizing. It, 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 it just made me laugh when I was watching this back. Uh, but then when we get to the match and she starts dancing on the table, it reminded me of the scene from The Replacements, uh, that wonderful sports movie starring uh, Gene Hackman and Keanu Reeves. And uh, there's a scene where the cheerleaders start dancing on the sidelines and it causes the opposing team to go off sides. And it's like that shouldn't happen in a professional sporting context, much like this. Like, why are these guys distracted by this woman dancing on the table? Like, don't they have more pressing concerns at the time? Like, uh, they can literally let... wait a few minutes and watch the yes. Natural Girls segment from the crowd if they really exactly. wanted to. If it, was, like, if it was something that was that important to them. Like, I, 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 was the, I, I know Miss Hancock was super hot, is <laughs> super hot. But, like, come on, guys, you're professionals here. At the broadcast booth, Tony and Mikey uh, hype tonight's card with Sid versus Tank and Vampiro getting a U.S. title shot against Jeff Jarrett. Tony also teases that Sting is rumored to be in the area tonight, a claim that Mark calls a lie. Backstage, the kid cam is shown spying once again on Buff Bagwell attempting to take someone else's girl. This time, it's Liz's turn to reject the buffster. Buff says that Lex is impressive, but he's no buff. Liz weighs the options before turning down Buff and walking away. Now... The point of the kid cam is that it's supposed to be a hidden camera where no one knows that it's there. The kid cam was literally three feet away from their face this entire time. So I don't know how this was taking them uh, at all by surprise. Hold on, Brian, real quick. I, yeah. I have to make 180. I have to admit, you know, when I'm wrong, you know, man enough to admit when I've made a mistake. And I know on the last episode, you and I discussed how we didn't like the inconsistency within Buff Bagwell's character. Well, he's consistent now. Yeah, after watching this, I like Mr. Steal Your Girl, Buff Bagwell. Yeah, James told me when he did his episode, he said that um, that Buff was trying to steal Symphony. Medusa. Or Symphony, yeah, Symphony's yeah. girl. Or Symphony was her name. And uh, and then I was watching mine, and I'm like, man, Buff is all over the place. I, for, I don't even remember that. I mean, I know Buff was the stuff, but I didn't remember he was trying to steal everyone's girl. I remember him stealing Kimberly, but I, I, I didn't remember all that other stuff. Well, is there anyone left to steal at this point? <laughs> I mean, all the Nitro girls, I guess. But yeah, who, and the, the NWO girls? I guess he could try to steal some NWO girls, and then, like, Steiner would get pissed or something, I guess. That could make sense. <laughs> steal the freaks. Elsewhere, Package and Flair are on a couch with Elizabeth watching this footage. The three of them laugh this off and say they've got to take care of Buff later on. Is that ludicrous? You know, I didn't believe your first Liz. Is Buff out of his mind? Out of his mind? Who does Bagwell think he is talking to you, man? We, we got business, Package. Come we on. sure do. Let's take care of it. Come on, this. We then get uh, a Sid and Tank promo. Throughout this entire show, we get these brief little interviews with the members of the roster giving their predictions uh, of who will win in Sid versus uh, Tank. And first up is Bam Bam. I think it's all experience. Experience will be the winner. 
Sid is the WCW world champ. Sid has the experience. Sid is going to be the winner, no doubt. I really like this, and this actually is one of those things that I'm chalking up to why I, I like this episode was that there was a story – there was a show-long story. We were building up matches, and it felt like this entire show kind of had a theme, and it was building to something, and that's something you don't get on WWE anymore. It's very rare that they sort of take the time to build an entire show around one match, which is what I thought they did here. Uh, they never do it on Raw, I should say. On SmackDown a while ago, they had that, like, uh, Battle Royal f- to see who was going to get the shot at WrestleMania, and, like, all the guys cut yeah. promos, and everyone was sort of talking about it. And I like it when a wrestling show makes the main event feel so important that everyone backstage can't think about anything else. Well, I, I, I feel two ways about it. I, I agree with everything you just said. I liked the the idea of what they were trying to do with these, but I just felt like it was wasted on someone like Tank Abbott. You know, that, that was my problem was that, you know, I, Tank Abbott being a featured player that every single member of the roster is talking about. And as the show went on, I feel like they kind of went lower down the roster of who they were talking to. They, they asked, like, the referee, and they asked, like, Lash LaRue, I believe, at one point. And I just kind of felt like that this was very much wasted on Tank Abbott, who was he – I mean, I know that they, he was getting a push, but was he really in the main event scene for very long? That I, I mean, I know you guys have been watching prior to this. He's not I would say he's not at this level. Uh but that being said, I mean, I don't know. I I'll, I'll kind of reserve all my tank thoughts till after the match, but uh he has not been pushed at this level, but I was certainly more interested in this match than I was with Sid and Jarrett, I would say. Like at this point, I guess at this point he he's kind of like Tank is where Braun Strowman was after like a couple months of his push, right? Like he hadn't quite caught on. He clearly wasn't main event yet. Uh, people really weren't behind him, but you maybe could have gotten somewhere. And they they eventually what? did with Braun. And I feel like you could have with Tank. But wasn't, and but wasn't this after the three count stuff? Like wasn't this is before? Kind of already, this is oh, before, this is before yeah. the three count stuff. Okay, okay, cool. Okay, we're still taking him seriously. Okay, fine, fair enough. Okay, good. You know, Tank Abbott. Thoughts aside, I think. Anytime you can make something seem important and also kind of ground it into more of a sports orientated uh, package, I'm I'm for that. So yes, I I think they probably could have gotten some bigger names to weigh in on the on the match, but uh, I, I give them credit for trying to at least make this look like it's a big deal. What are you saying that Nick Patrick isn't didn't didn't get you hyped? No, I mean uh, I mean I, I will dispute. Uh, Brother Ryan's claims, uh, because obviously people know how we feel about Lash LaRue up here on the satellite. Uh, but I think Lash LaRue might have been the headliner of, the, of this bunch. Was Doug Dillinger not available? Was he getting coffee or something when they were filming these things? Okay, now I know we just called Sid and Tank the main event, but I think right now is actually the main event of the show. Uh, we then go to the Buckeye Cafe in Columbus, Ohio, where Ricky Rackman is hosting a Nitro party. Yes, the former VJ and Loveline co-host, that Ricky Rackman. Uh, we're here at the Buckeye Cafe in Columbus, Ohio. I guess we're making some noise here with the people from Ohio State University. Why are we here? I'll tell you why we're here. Because it's the road to Spring Breakout 2000. Brought to you by your friends at Track Phone America, number one in prepaid cellular and top back in Tanaka. 
Ricky is surrounded by Nitro Girls as he plugs that three count will be in the house later tonight. They then toss to a package of an event from earlier in the day where the Nitro Girls and three count hosted field games at Ohio State for something called Campish Clash. Someone won a trip uh, to, to the Spring Break Nitro. Uh, and you know what, guys? We can joke about how dated and lame this package was. But honestly, I got to give them some credit again. This is the sort of outside-of-the-box thinking that I appreciated WCW would do. This this feels like something you would do if you're legitimately promoting an event in a few weeks. And it's something that uh, WC, uh, WWE never does. I would love it if we got... Some sort of like, hey, we're on a college campus, and here are like young people, and they're excited for this thing that you're watching. Uh, I always was a fan of the Nitro parties. I mean, this thing was lame and dated, but I, I appreciated the thought behind it. Yeah, lame and dated, but these kind of things were so cool back then. Like, I, I'm with you. I would have totally gone to something like that. They don't have it anymore because they have the internet, and they can reach out to people with a much wider reach. But these kind of things were awesome. Like, this... This whole segment took me back as the way it was edited with the music and and just one of these kinds of events happening. I just in general, I was like, this took me back. I loved all these segments. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm not going to joke about it at all. Like to me, I I was a fan of these back in the day. I remember when I was going to uh, Dean College and that was in 97. So a couple years before this, we had our own little bootleg nitro parties because it was it was a big deal. And and I think that, you know, when you've got somebody like Rick and Rackman or, or, or DJ Rand and, and you're aligning with these campuses, it's it's what I wish wrestling were more of today. And I think that and I'm going get, to get on a little uh, TNA rant right here because it's one of the things I always thought TNA missed out on in terms of ingraining themselves to that Orlando community. Like they should have been all about going to the University of Central Florida or going to some other universities in the area and making those kids feel like they were a part of that show. Like there should have been no way that uh, NXT or the Performance Center could have came down there and taken that town from them. Like to me, that's a failure on your part because you didn't energize your base. And so, you know, yeah, we can say it's dated. We can say it looks lame now in, in, in hindsight with 2017 eyes, but I get them all the credit in the world for this. I think this was one of the few really great ideas that WCW had back in the day. And these kind of things made you really want to go to stuff. Like I remember just to what you were saying, Nate, as a kid, when I would see the things about Nickelodeon in Florida and you would at the end of every show, they would say like, they would show what Nick Studio, you know, Nickelodeon Studios mm-hmm. looked like out there. And you just wanted to go. You were, you were like, man, this this would be the best. And, and I never got to go, sadly. But but yeah, like those kind of things were awesome in the 90s. And I'm sad that the Internet kind of replaced it, that those, you know, they, they have better ways of getting in touch with people via social media and stuff like that. But yeah, these things were awesome. But I mean, even that, I mean, we just had South by Southwest, and I feel like it would make a lot of sense for WWE to maybe try to do a, do a Raw or a SmackDown at South by Southwest, kind of like these old spring break shows. I mean, I know that NXT sometimes goes to music festivals, but I I just like that WCW was not afraid to have the occasional episode that looked and felt different. Now, one of the greatest things that I think WCW ever did, and I believe it was either 98 or 99 was they had some team up with MTV and basically MTV did one of those video countdown shows. And it was like the top 10 beefs that were currently going on or the top 10 beefs in music history, something to that effect. And it was kind of, you had the nitro girls there. I think Mike Tanay was there. Maybe Heenan was there. And 
after they did the countdown, the main event, so to speak, was a match between Booker and Buff Bagwell, I think. Uh, it was Booker and somebody. And it was like this really cool way to cross-promote, but also they felt current. They felt of the time, and I think wrestling has a problem a lot of times where they feel behind the times. Even, you know, WWE, I think, as current as they've been lately, they still feel like they're not of 2017, like they're maybe five or six years behind where the current culture is. Listen, we've heaped a lot of praise on WCW, so I can feel people turning this podcast off. So let's get back to talking shit about them. (laughs) And this next segment is the perfect one to do it with. Um, In the back, Hulk Hogan is cutting a promo on Ric Flair for interfering in his cage match last week. Or did he? Uh, Nate, did you notice something fishy about this promo? (laughs) Hogan. Oh, no, nah, I'm, I'm not even going to call him Hogan. I don't know why you tricked me into calling this man by his gimmick name. I, I call him Terry. the government here. Yeah, I called him Terry Bolea because he does not earn the respect for me to call him by his gimmick name. Uh, but yeah, this 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 is a little off, and uh, I, I think uh, the listeners might might with a keen eye and a keen ear might know why, brother man. Yes, the reason why it feels a little off is because it is literally in the exact same spot where he taped his pre-match promo last week. Meaning that Hogan told them he was taking the week off, so they taped this in advance. (laughs) Hulk Hogan was clearly phoning this one in, and he had quite a few trips of the tongue in doing so. He says that last week he was in a coffin headed to the hospital when he glazed into Jimmy Hart's eyes. And what did Hart say when Hogan glazed into his eyes? Hart whispered one word to him. He pulled the Hulkster close, and he whispered, Yappapai. I will beat you within an inch of your life and in the yappa pie in the strap match, Ric Flair. I will prove that you will bow down to me for an eternity, brother. Ryan, did you realize you would be here for such a historic edition of Nitro? No, when he said it, like my jaw hit the floor. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this is the one that I got to watch. Yes, this was the birth of the Yappapai Indian strap match. Uh, for this promo, <laughs> Hogan is borrowing on the history of the Yappapai Indian tribe that was found in the Midwest Plains. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's no such thing as the Yappapai Indians. They don't exist. It's not a word that ever <laughs> existed before Hulk Hogan blurted it out here. Do you think he was actually supposed to say a different name Said this by mistake. <laughs> they try to correct him, and he's like, no second takes, brother, and walked away. <laughs> and there's like, well, I guess we're calling this thing a yappapai strap match. He was like, brother, Tatanka told me that. I, I know what I'm talking about. Let's move on. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yes. I think, you know, given uh, Terry Bollea's history of racial tolerance, I-, I think it was an honest mistake. Uh, <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, he-, he probably just kind of had a little bit of a flub, and they decided to go with it. Uh, but I know that the listeners uh, and the viewers of this Probably had the same feeling that I did as soon as I heard him announce this strap match. I'm like, oh, somebody needs to call Wei Ting and get his thoughts on this because no disrespect to you, brother man, but I think here at the law, Wei Ting is the preeminent Yapapai Indian strap match expert. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the other things that was great here is that Hogan, while he's cutting this promo, is holding his weightlifting belt, right? Which very pointedly... Flair stole at the end of last week's episode and is holding throughout this entire episode. Now, if I'm not mistaken, didn't I didn't even I didn't even realize it's so funny. I didn't even think about that until now that you mentioned it. How Flair is later in the episode rolling around with the exact same belt without any explanation. I for I didn't even think about that. 
I think it's just that Hogan said, "I'm not coming to TV next week," and they shot this, and they're just fuck it. We gotta keep, we gotta go with what we got, I guess. Because I was more focused on the location for some reason. It just was like this weird tunnel that he was in that I didn't see. Remember that there was no background. He was kind of by himself. Like it was almost like he had done it via satellite or something like that. It was it was very confusing to me as it was. And then he dropped that yappa pie thing. And <laughs> man, I I didn't even think about the belt though. Yeah, now I'm now I'm actually ang- even more angry about that promo. <laughs> Well, uh, in the middle of the ring, Mean Gene brings out Ric Flair to respond to Hogan's challenge. Flair makes his way out with Luger and Liz. One of the PAs tells Rick which camera to look in, and Flair chews him out for doing so. I know what camera to talk to, I'm Ric Flair. Flair declares Hulkamania dead because he and Luger beat him to death last week. Flair follows up by saying that Sting is a coward for not showing up to stand up to him. Lex then challenges Buff to a match tonight. Flair and Lex then bury Minnesota while Mean Gene attempts to stick up for his birthplace. This brings out Minnesota native Kurt Henning in a University of Minnesota sweatshirt. Henning calls himself Minnesota's greatest athlete and challenges Flair to a match. Henning takes a shot at Flair's sagging physique and tells him to show everyone his puppies. This actually gets under Flair's skin and he accepts the challenge and says that he'll beat Kurt like he beat his father 20 years ago. Henning promises to streak naked next Monday if he can't beat Flair in Minnesota. Let me make this right now. If I can't beat Ric Flair in Minneapolis tonight, I will streak down Hennepin Avenue butt-ass naked next Monday. This was uh, Henning's first appearance uh, on Nitro in like two months. We haven't seen him in a while. He had a couple matches on Thunder. Yep, he just, uh, the last time, Nate, correct me if I'm wrong, the only time we've seen this guy was he was in the ring for Kevin Nash's like State of the Union address a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's been the only time we've seen Kurt Henning. I mean, they might... Okay, yes, they should have put that over on commentary, because they definitely did not. But that makes sense now as to why he got such a big pop, because I know he was, like, the local guy, and he was wearing the shirt, but he did get a pretty (laughs) big pop when his music hit. And and I I was thinking to myself, like, was was Kurt Henning that hot at the time? Like, or that... that, See, that makes sense now. It was kind of like... Oh, we haven't seen this guy in a long time. Oh, and he's our guy. So that that makes sense now. But I did like Mr. Perfect in this segment because I did think he felt kind of like a badass in this segment. And I I, I was I was behind him. I, I liked Mr. Perfect. I was gonna say they they left it feels like and and granted I have the benefit of hindsight, but man, they they left so much money on the table with, with uh Kurt Hannon. Like outside of the West Texas Rednecks deal? Like, did they do anything notable with him? No, and I was watching this thinking that, that I was like, man, he was such a badass back then. He looked like someone who legitimately kicked your ass, and I was thinking the exact same thing while I was watching it. Yeah, I honestly don't think they do anything with him at all throughout the rest of 2000. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, Nate. Nothing that comes to mind immediately. Yeah. Nothing, nothing too memorable. So, yeah, this might have been the the highlight for Mr. Perfect as we uh, continue this experiment. Backstage, Mike Tanay asks Booker about his match tonight with Kidman. Booker blames Kidman for their loss to the Harrises on Thunder since Kidman was tending to his hoochie, Tori. Booker doesn't know who made the match tonight, but he's going to take it out on Kidman. Elsewhere, Kidman and Tori walk to the ring as they talk about the missing kid cam. You had it. You had it. No. I didn't get back there. But I, I, I don't the have tape. it, I swear. Maybe someone stole it again. We need to get it because someone will steal it again. We'll get it's it after gone. the match. Oh, I can't believe you did it. I, I didn't lose it. Back to the announcer's table, the picture of professionalism, Tony Schiavone is taking a phone call as we come back from break. Sorry, I got that call. the commercial break. It has a profound impact on this program. Yeah, I bet it does. Sting Your wife needs is... bread. What? 
Sting is going to be here. No, he's not. That has not. been confirmed by some inside sources I have. Sting will be here with Sting us later on here. this program. We live in an era of fake news and alternative facts, brother man. <laughs> and this show has told me for the last eight weeks that Sting was coming. You know, we saw the crow. We saw the stagehand dressed up as Sting. We saw the Sting WCW credit card commercial. So I've, I've been fooled one too many times. So I, I was at this point, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to believe it until I see it. Twice bitten, you know? <laughs> Especially as someone like you said who had the WCW credit card. So, <laughs> oh, Man. Backstage, Mean Gene is with Jeff Jarrett. In a change of pace from the opening segment, Jeff is now livid that Tank is getting a world title match before him. Who the hell does WCW think they are? They're trying to screw with me again. First, they give Tank Abbott. A WCW world title shot. Tank Abbott. Then they booked me in a U.S. title defense against Vampiro. Who the hell is Vampiro? Well, tonight, they're going to find out what the chosen one is all about. Jeff says we'll also have to wait to see what the Harris brothers have in store tonight. With this, we go back to the arena for Booker versus Billy Kidman. Now, Booker, who's now free uh, and clear of Harlem Heat, has new music and a new entrance without flames. Now, Nate, I actually, I don't remember this theme song at all. And i got to be honest, I kind of liked it. Yeah, this one wasn't uh, it wasn't as obnoxious as I think he had like a Leave It to Beaver. Yeah, he had that Leave It to Beaver music that was supposed to like get under his skin for his match with Big T. Right. But now that he's <laughs> lost, he's like, "Fuck, give me some good some good tunes, Jimmy Hart." Yeah, he's, he he went back to the uh, Jimmy Hart playbook, gave him some of that OG music, the original Gentries, and uh, I think uh, this. This isn't the classic iconic Booker T theme, of course, but uh, it's better than what he had. I, okay, wait, wait, wait. No, I, I, okay, I was so thrown off by this music first and foremost because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, they because they don't explain it until halfway through his entrance that he's got this new music, and I, I was so confused right off the bat. But then they noted they called it a quote tough, strong, that he's a tough, strong, heavy metal kind of guy. Yeah. And when would you ever describe Booker T that way? I would not describe (laughs) Booker T that way, and I would not describe that song that way. They were so off on both accounts. Yeah, everything about, like, it was like this slow, brooding kind of music that wasn't that cool. And especially because his entrance theme is probably my favorite WCW theme, so it super bothered me. Uh, but yeah, when they described it as that, that heavy metal kind of music, I, I, it really just put a bad taste in my mouth. During Kidman's entrance, Tony is hyping the Yappapai strap match, and Mark uses this as an opportunity to joke about fucking Tylene Buck. You know, not too long ago, I was joined at the wrist by a leather strap to Tylene Buck, one of the NWO girls. I don't believe that at all. It's true. Hey, she has vertical aspirations, and she'll use horizontal methods. I like that. Booker gets in Kidman's face, but the ref breaks them up. These two are uh, working at the fastest pace we've ever seen on any episode of Nitro up to this point. Booker then signals for an axe kick, and he hits it to the back of Kidman's neck. Now, as is protocol in WCW, the minute that a match hits three stars, someone must run in and interfere. So the Harris brothers came down and laid out both men with H-bombs. Tony says the Harris twins are making an impact, which is still true 17 years later. (laughs) So, I gotta say, I thought these two... uh, we're having a great match, and then it, 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 it this happened. Yeah, absolutely. Billy Kidman did that cool, like, uh, like uh, head scissors that turned into the flip over, kind of like roll over pin thing that I thought I, I was super impressed with this match. But this was when I started to get really mad at the episode because the, the influence of the Harris brothers was way too <laughs> strong. Like, I don't remember the Harris brothers being this prominent of figures. And maybe I blocked this terrible memory out of my head and and just uh, tried to forget about it. But 
this isn't even the last time they run in on a match this episode, if I recall. And it really, really bothered me. Like, like they kept coming in for stuff, and they kept being shown in backstage segments. And I was just thinking, did they really see that much money in the Harris Brothers? Like, I, I, I didn't understand it. It it's funny because you know there has been much made about TNA kind of changing its payment structure recently, and I wonder if WCW is paying people by appearances at this time because the last two weeks of, of Nitros, the Harris brothers probably made all of their bank for the entire year two thousand because <laughs> we saw them between last week's Nitro and this week's Nitro. I think they probably had about twenty appearances, and I'm, I'm not even exaggerating. And I'm worried. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm worried to find out how many they appeared on Thunder that week too, and and the week before. Mm. I bet you they were just rolling in the in appearance dough. Well, I'm and it, torn. It's sad because they. Well, real quick, Brian. They didn't even. They didn't even need to interfere in this match. Like we said, I think we said it uh, last week when they interfered in in one of the matches. Like if you've got a good match. Let us have something. Let us have at least one nice thing uh, on this episode and interfere in a match that nobody gives a damn about. Whereas yeah, like with I this had to one, watch... you know, yeah, yeah, you had two young guys going out there and putting on a really good show. Yeah, like I was going to say the same thing. Like Mike, like, like we had to watch the Mamelukes and Lenny Lane and Lodi already. We've already had, uh, uh, you know, nothing too exciting. I was stoked that we're like, oh, Booker T and Billy Kidman, that's going to be an easy good match right there. And then, like you said, it ended. So quickly, you know, and I, and I, and then the Harris brothers came out when I, I just don't understand the point. So it, it it appears as though Jeff Jarrett, who is the interim commissioner, booked this match, and and so the idea was that they're going to make Kidman and Booker feud against each other rather than being a strong team against the Harrises. So if that's the plan, why would the Harrises not allow these two guys to beat each other up a little bit more? <laughs> Maybe let them go five six minutes and then come out and start beating someone down. Not you know these guys hadn't even broken a sweat yet. Okay, well, then you made that make a little more sense to me, but then why'd they run in during the tag match? Because they want that tag title shot. See, that's my problem with this episode, is <laughs> they got the Harris brothers all over the place here. Like, the, the Harris brothers should not be a central figure on, on your television show. I don't know. This is the this is the elite NWO, so... <laughs> oh, man, dude. Ugh. Backstage, Mean Gene is here once again, and he is talking with Harlem Heat 2000. And this week, uh, Big T got the memo. He is wearing a black leather jacket just like everybody else in the group. (laughs) Stevie says that it's Booker's fault for being jumped since he had no one watching his back. Stevie then sets up a line for Big T, who of course misses his fucking cue. (laughs) Booker, I'm going to tell you just like our mama used to tell us. A hard head makes a very, very... You know what they say, dog? A very soft ass. Gene also refers to Cassius, the unnamed man, and uh, that's weird because he was given a name last week. His name is Cassius. Gene, watch the fucking show. (laughs) (laughs) Earlier in the day, pressed for his thoughts on Sid and Tank, Lash LaRue picks Sid. Oh, Sid or Tank? Tank or Sid? I tell you, Tank's been slots in the competition WCW lately, but it's going to take a lot more than one punch to put out Sid Vicious. When it comes to fighting, that dog can hunt. My money's on Sid Vicious. We then, uh, at this point, I guess uh, Paul Levesque must have snuck in the production truck because we are shown highlights from the Arnold Classic in Columbus, Ohio. I guess they just sent a fucking production crew to Columbus and said, shoot whatever's happening there this weekend. (laughs) This weekend in Columbus, Ohio, the Arnold Schwarzenegger Classic, the who's who in bodybuilding, and we're going to take you to some of what went down. 
WWE Hall of Famer Arnold Schwarzenegger is shown checking out some roidy dude with massive arms who's apparently going to be on Thunder this week. Dude, how buff was that dude? He put Steiner to shame, and I, if I'm not mistaken, Nate, this guy never showed up on WCW again. I'm sure they had some hopes of signing him, but I don't think this dude was ever seen again. I don't, like, yeah, I don't, I don't know who that, that dude was. I don't know uh, what the what the point of the, this whole thing was other than to uh, have the governor, the governator on your show, which is never a bad thing. Uh, but, yeah, uh, this this whole excursion uh, to Columbus, Nitro Party notwithstanding, felt a little odd. Uh, so uh, Mean Gene is really earning his pay this week as he is back once again for another interview. This time he is with Norman Smiley. Norman says what Dustin Rhodes did to Terry Funk last week was a crime. So Norman challenges Dustin to a match tonight. Somebody needs to step up to the plate and help Terry Funk. Dustin Rhodes, tonight, Norman Smiley's not going to be doing the screaming. It's going to be screaming Dustin Rhodes. WCW hardcore champion Brian Knobs makes his way out as Three Count waits in the ring. Tony plugs this month's WCW magazine featuring an in-depth piece on Brian Knobs, which honestly this may have actually caused in some people canceling their WCW magazine subscriptions. Evan Courageous challenges Knobs to a three-on-one handicap match for the hardcore title. Knobs, not known for his intelligence, accepts the challenge. Three Count gets taken out early by Knobs thanks to plenty of weapon shots. Knobs uh, continues to pound on all three men. Uh, this is just all worthless garbage brawling. Knobs uh, gets set up on it. Knobs sets up a table in the aisle and power bombs Evan through it. Shane and Shannon then sneak up with some trash can shots. All three members of Three Count cover Knobs for the win and the hardcore title. Uh, before any celebration can, can occur, we cut backstage. But yeah, guys, we have new. Uh, we have a new hardcore champion, and it is all three members of Three Count. <laughs> I, I, I kind of liked their reign as hardcore champion. So as much as I hated this match, I remember liking them as like a championship duo together. So I, I, I'm into this. I, as much as the match was just garbage, I still I like the outcome because less knobs, more Three Count is always good. Yeah, I think that's the way to look at this. You know, at the end of the day, what's the What's the end goal? And if the end goal is to get the title off of Brian Knobs, I don't care how you get there. Yeah, I mean, I'm torn. I mean, we've, we've uh, Nate, you and I, we, we like three count. Uh, but I think what's kind of upsetting to me is that I've yet to really see three count be used properly. I just don't like they got these people taking this kind of punishment, putting their bodies through this for the announcers to laugh and to make it a joke title. Well, yeah. I do know that they helped put three count over later to show you more when when uh, Ricky Rackman gave him the, the seal of approval by saying they get hot chicks. That's why That's why they're around. We'll, we'll get into that because that's, that's insanely confusing is that they keep cutting back to the Nitro <laughs> party that happened two days ago. Which yeah, directly that was my only problem was that they're in a, is that they're in a match and then we, we're supposed to be watching their, their segments with Disco Inferno who was also used during the show. That was very confusing. Well, there's one more thing on this match though and it's, it's something that's bugged me for a long time and it's a... Uh, it's kind of like a looking in the mirror type of thing, and I realize that wrestlers are better human beings than I am because there's no way that I would be able to muster any type of self-control if Brian Knobs stuck his armpit in my face. I don't think I could be professional, uh, like the Petty City or, or the Rikishi stink face. Like I, I would lose my job because it's like, well, no, well, I can't Nate, do it, man. I'll be completely honest with you. I have been in that scenario um, when I was – when I went to WrestleMania last year, um, I thought it'd be funny because I saw the Nasty Boys were throwing a strip club party, <laughs> oh, and I God. thought it, 
Yeah, and so I thought it would be funny to go, so I made my co-host Jamie come with me and one of his friends, and we got to his his one of Jamie's friends was one of the guests. We got to be in the VIP with the Nasty Boys, and <laughs> it was one of the funniest things ever. And he was he was <laughs> going up and chopping people in the chest, and and then uh, I asked him like, "Oh, can I take a picture with you?" And he was like, "Yes, yeah, sure, come here." And like put his like my face in his armpit, and we had to take oh. a picture together. But then he kept like following me the rest of like <laughs> for, the next, for, for the next like thirty minutes. He requested that I take like at least fifteen more pictures of him and other people I was never gonna meet and, again, you know, and and just follow him. And finally, like people, people were telling him like, "No, no, I'm cool. I don't need a picture." Because I'm sure they didn't want a picture of them in a strip club being taken by red people. <laughs> Especially with Brian Knobs doing it, and and then he was like the uh, the other nasty boy was there, and he was a little more low key, but he was like the the strippers were super uncomfortable on his lap the whole time, and he was like having to kept switching girls because the girl would get uncomfortable after a certain amount of time. Uh, but but you know to answer your question, you just you know when you're if you're there in a professional manner, you just you accept the pity city, you accept the trip to pity city when you're there. <laughs> Backstage, Vampiro was perched on some rafters, cutting a Bray Wyatt promo. We were then shown earlier in the day where a group of fans with bleached tips and goatees chant Sid's name. There was so much highlights in that video. Like, like I, I'm glad that you pointed that video out because I was cracking. Like, I love the old crowd shots when you're watching Nitro, but that one was crazy because it almost looked like the same guy four different <laughs> times, but with different bleach in different areas. And they were all like mini Guy Fieri's almost, but with like different, different bleach in different spots. It was, it was great. It was mind-blowing. <laughs> It was like if Joey Fatone starred in a remake of Multiplicity, that's who this group of guys was. <laughs> that's, yes, nailed it. So uh, Mean Gene, back once again, is talking to Ryan's best friend, uh, Brian Nobbs, and Fit Finley <laughs> about Nobbs' most recent loss. Nobbs says that it's his own mistake, but he's going to get a rematch. Finley promises to make Three Counts' lives a living hell, and he wants a six-man tag. Gene asks who the third man is, and Nob says, it's time to bring out the dog. We won't tease yeah. who the dog is, but we will talk about the dog's debut next week. Back in the arena, Norman Smiley enters in Vikings gear. Dustin then comes out in head-to-toe black leather, so either he's turned heel or he's joined Harlem Heat. Norman hits a crossbody, followed by a big wiggle. On the outside, Dustin runs Norman into the apron. The announcers let us know that Dustin will face Funkett uncensored. These two continue to brawl around the ring, with Dustin getting all the offense. Back in the ring, Dustin hits a top-rope clothesline for the pin. So that's the match. Um, It did what it needed to. Dustin Rhodes gets a a win over, uh, over a guy. Uh, so there you go. Uh, I think maybe Brian, I'm getting into a situation with these episodes where the more you're around somebody, whether it's a job or in a relationship, you know, something that might have been cute at first kind of starts to grate on you a little bit. And I, you know, I'm a broadcaster. I've, I, I do high school sports. I've, I've done college sports. I've even done professional sports. And Sometimes as a broadcaster, you do things to amuse yourself and, and, you know, like you give people nicknames. Like I remember we were doing a game and there's this little five foot two kid playing basketball and I nicknamed him the problem child. I think he scored five points, but I was every time he came down the court, I was like, they better guard that kid because he's a problem. It's the problem child. And then it didn't go anywhere. But when you got Mark Madden here trying to get this uh, American Dream 2000 yeah. nickname over for Dustin, 
it's like it's a little thing. It, it doesn't mean a whole lot in the, in the grand scheme of things. But it, it reminded me of a couple shows ago where Bobby Heenan kept trying to get something over with Tank Abbott. And it didn't fit. Like, it didn't work. And it's like, this character has, like, no connection whatsoever besides blood to the Dusty Rhodes character. So I didn't, I didn't know what, what Madden was going for here. He's also like the fifth thing dubbed 2000 on the show. You got like NWO 2000, you got Harlem Heat 2000. Uh, they're calling it Uncensored 2000 pretty prominently. There's way too many 2000s already on the show. <laughs> and Mark Madden, honestly, he was my least favorite part of the whole show. I, I remember as a kid, I didn't like him. I thought he was annoying. And as an adult, it was even worse. Like now that I understood some of the inside things that he was trying to say or some of the adult jokes that he was trying to make, they were even more grown-worthy than I understood them. So, yeah, I, I Mark Madden was rough. Backstage, Jarrett and Vampiro were shown walking to the ring. We're shown earlier today where superstar referee Nick Patrick picks Tank Abbott to win because he's hungry. <laughs> Sid's at the top of his game. He's on a roll right now, but Tank Abbott's hungry. He's very hungry, and I'm going to have to go with Tank. Back in the arena, Jeff Jarrett and the NWO biddies come out for the U.S. title match. However, Jarrett sends the women to the back for some heat. Vampiro comes out to a pretty good reaction, probably the, the one of the largest ones of the night. Uh, these two lock up and do a headlock takedown to a head-scissors combination three times in a row. These two are having a pretty competitive match, and wouldn't you know it, the crowd actually got into it. The Harrises then rush the ring, but Vamp is actually able to take both men out. This causes Sid to run down, and he gets rid of the Harrises. Vampiro hits the nail in the coffin on Jarrett, but the ref is on the floor dealing with Sid and the Harrises, so he doesn't see it. Back in the ring, Jarrett whacks Vampiro with the belt. Nick Patrick slides in, but Vampiro kicks out at two. However, it's so close that the timekeeper still rung the bell anyway. <laughs> the match continues, and Vampiro gets a backdrop suplex before going to the top. Vampiro attempts a guillotine leg drop, but Jeff moves and hits the stroke for the win. Jared, one step ahead. Jeff Jarrett's got him in. The stroke. That'll do it. I thought this was a pretty good match. Probably just the, the best wrestling match on the show. Yeah, this one actually brought back a big feeling I had as a child, I remember. And that was that Vampiro was so dope. Like, I, I, I loved Vampiro. And while watching this and this match and the backstage promo he had beforehand, I was just thinking to myself that it is just a shame that Vampiro never got a main event title, like a WCW title, you know, world title, or a WWF title or anything like that. It, it's, it bums me out because he was over as hell everywhere he went. His character, like when that whole backstage promo with the green lighting from the side looked cool as hell. His Misfits paint was so badass. And that's one of the biggest failures of the 90s, and not on him, of the companies, that they never were able to get behind him enough to where that could happen. Yeah, I really like this match. I thought that it was by far the best thing on the show. And it goes back to something we were talking about during the Booker T and Kidman match. It's like, this is why this company frustrates you because you got people like Vampiro and Kidman and Booker T and, you know, the, some of the guys in the cruiserweight division and to a lesser extent, lesser extent, somebody like Jeff Jarrett, who's not the best thing in the world, but he's solid at almost everything he does. And it's like, why, why can't you guys get out of your own way and allow the wrestling to be the star of the show and not, you know, these convoluted storylines and these other guys that are, you know, past their prime getting so much TV time? 
Like, did you really need another Harris Brothers run-in? <laughs> like, another. We already had two. And I know I already complained about this earlier in the show, but this was the third one that I was talking about. And, and, and we were getting a good match between these two. And it just drove me crazy. And it reminded me of why I was always so mad watching WCW was that you'd have this really cool match that you were getting. And then the booking of the ending would just ruin the whole thing and leave the sour taste in your mouth. And that was the Harris Brothers all night. I'll actually kind of, in their defense, I liked that the Harris brothers came out and they've been established as like this dominating group, but Vampiro's actually able to fight them off. And then they leave and there's some more match after it. So it isn't like a thing where we get this whole like screwball finish and everyone comes out and then there's, you know, and then that leads directly to the finish. I like that you knew the Harris brothers were going to come out, but they came out, they were neutralized and the match went on for a couple more minutes after that. So if you're going to have the Harris brothers interfering, I felt like they did it in a way that still allowed in the end Vampiro to be uh, one of the shining stars of the, of the segment, if that makes sense. I think even the, the ring bell guy was confused by that. Even they're like, wait, that wasn't the finish. Cause they, I, I don't think that, <laughs> that, that bell thing was planned. It didn't look like that was part of the plan. No, no, no. I think that the ring keeper was just aware of WCW booking and was like, oh, okay, there was someone interfered, so time to time to get my hammer out. All right, Harris Brothers are here. Go home time. <laughs> Backstage, the Mamelukes pay a guy $20 to deliver a package to the Harris boys. You deliver this to the Harris Brothers, okay? And you tell them it's from the Paisans. Make sure they get it. If they don't get it, you're going to get it. You understand? Outside, a different group of fans think Tank will win. We go back to the Buckeye Cafe where Ricky Rackman is sitting in a booth with Disco Inferno. What was your name again? Ricky Rackman, you know my name, Disco. Okay, Ricky, I can understand me being here, and I can understand the Nitro Girls being here, but what the hell are you doing here, and why, for the love of me, is Three Count here? You just don't get it. It's obvious why Three Count's here, because when Three Count shows up anywhere, tons of chicks follow. Chicks dig Three Count. And whenever there's tons of chicks anywhere, then guys show up. So basically, there's a lot of people every city we go to for spring breakout because Three Count's there, because they bring all the chicks. Disco says that the girls here aren't the type of Brooklyn girls that he gets, and Ricky says, thank God. Why the burial of Brooklyn women here? I took personal offense to this. I have seen women in Brooklyn, and I have seen women in Columbus, Ohio, and I will take Brooklyn women any day. No offense to any of our listeners in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> they, they, Disco even says, this girl looks like she could be from Brooklyn, and Ricky's like, uh, no, this girl wouldn't be from Brooklyn. It's like, what are you trying to say? Like, oh, women who, like, you know, live in one of the modeling capitals of the world. Who would want one of them? <laughs> well, to be fair, too, Ricky Rackman was getting, like, high-end chicks. Like, he was... This was probably, you know... He was MTV money, you know? So he was he was doing his thing at the time. So, I mean, I guess he kind of was, like, a player at the time where he could pull something off like that. But, yeah, I didn't understand the burial of Brooklyn either. Wrestling needs more, like, MTV VJs or radio DJs. To, I, I always thought that was something that made it seem bigger and maybe more important or more current than, than it actually is. Like, why isn't Vince McMahon calling up Sway in the morning? Like, like that should be a thing we see on Nitro on a regular basis. I would love to see Sway doing backstage interviews for WWE, especially around WrestleMania time. Like, they used to do that. I know when I was a kid, my dad worked for USA for that show, Ronda Shear, Up All Night. Yeah. And, and she would be backstage doing uh, spe- you know special 
episodes from from uh, when they were in L.A. and they were doing shows and stuff like that. And that's actually I really got you know first into wrestling. So you know I, I also love when they do outside things like that. And I really feel like they've gotten comfortable with with the ESPN thing, which is great. Like it's it's cool that they have the ESPN exposure. It's awesome. Um, but I feel like you don't see it uh, with them branching out as much. Although John Cena did host the the Kids Choice Awards this weekend, and it was cool. Yeah, this, uh, there actually was one last thing in this segment. Uh, Disco says that he's going to go teach Three Count how to dance. So that's um, that's the whole thing. And um, even though it inspired quite the conversation uh, from us, I, I really got to say I have no idea why the fuck this was on the show and we didn't get <laughs> like two more minutes of uh, Booker Kidman. <laughs> yeah, I, and, 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 and I'm trying to – do we even get the resolution to like him going to show Three Count How to Dance? Oh, yes. There's one more segment that Okay, was, there was one more segment. I, I, wasn't, I was trying to remember. Okay. It, it was the icing on the cake. We get it a little bit later. <laughs> okay. Vampiro is nursing his injuries when Fit Finley just comes up and blindsides him out of nowhere. Finley promises to beat some respect into Vampiro. So is Fit a babyface or a heel? He, w- he literally just cut a babyface promo attacking Three Count a couple segments ago. Yeah, I was wondering the same thing while watching this. I was like, wait, because I, I, the first thing I was like, oh, okay, yeah. And then the second one came and I was like, oh, wait, what's what's going on here? Because I, I hadn't watched the other episodes. I was hoping you guys could fill me in on this one. I'm wondering why he's, why is he starting a whole new feud? Like, didn't we just leave on the cliffhanger of them getting another uh, teammate to go fight three counts? Or what? Like, why are you adding more to your plate? Like, that's that doesn't seem fair to Brian Nobbs. Maybe this is like the worst way of recruiting Vampiro to be the third person. <laughs> the passive aggressive. Yeah. I just love your your idea, Brian, of Fit Finley, like negging Vampiro. Like, I'm going to be an <laughs> asshole to this dude so he'll like me. <laughs> In the ring, the Nitro Girls dancing is interrupted by David Flair. Uh, they entertain his moves for a while before laughing and leaving the ring. A pissed off Daphne then enters the ring with a crowbar, not the wrestler, uh, the object. And David looks scared, so he kisses Daphne's feet and apologizes. Uh, the lovers then kiss and make up. They are cut off by the Purple Rain knockoff, and out comes the artist formerly known as Prince Iakeo with Paisley. Uh, somehow in all of this crowbar, the wrestler, not the object, has joined commentary. Uh, apparently, the artist's title is on the line, despite the fact that Flair is not in the cruiserweight division nor do i think he would make the weight requirements the bell rings and david dances before slapping the artist david throws artist into the corner and lands 10 punches in the corner the artist comes back with the samoan drop and goes to the top rope crowbar jumps uh, off of commentary and pushes the artist off the top rope but david can only get a two count off of this uh as is the legal mandate in 2000s wrestling the two women then cat fight on the floor and that goes down Top to bottom, this whole thing was pretty awful. Uh, I, they have some fascination with David Flair and, and Crowbar, but uh, it's never satisfying and it's never rewarding. And I guess we're dropping the Crowbar demon thing from last week. Um, yeah, none of this was... Uh, was good at all, uh, especially if this this our night of champions. This is our representation of the cruiserweight division. It, it reminded me of why Ric Flair is so proud of Charlotte at a, because I was watching this, just thinking, 
man, Ric Flair had to have been in the back. He was there. I saw him on the same episode. Like, he was there. He had to have been in the back just with his head in shame watching this. And I know David Flair tried, and I know he was given, he was dealt a, a difficult hand without much training, but just I forgot how truly terrible of a wrestler he was while watching this. It, it was just it was so bad. And, and and I liked Crowbar. I liked Daphne. I thought they were an entertaining act together. But, but man, David Flair just had uh, – he's just bad, bad wrestler. Uh, you know how big a fan of the artist formerly known as Prince I.K. I am, Brian, man. It takes a lot to get me to tune out of a uh, Taft-Cappy match. And uh, I was I was not invested in this at all. Yeah, I'm with you. No, I'm with you. I saw – I saw the artist and I was like, "Yeah, we get the artist, cool. Like at least it'll save this match." And it, I just, I still, I, I, I couldn't handle it. It was rough. In the back, a broken guitar is found, and paramedics are tending to Sid next to it. Elsewhere, the NWO are leaving the building when the Harrises receive the Mama Luke's package. Attached to it is a note saying, "They've got their shot. Now watch their back." Inside the box is a fish making a Godfather reference. Obviously, the Harrises are pissed, but Jarrett tells them to save it for uncensored. Elsewhere, Mean Gene says the WCW medical examiners have recommended that Sid avoid any strenuous activity, including his title match. However, a woozy Sid then runs in and shouts and yells that he'll defend his title against Tank Abbott tonight. First is Jeff Jarrett! Then is Tank Abbott! Whoa, 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 you are woozy! Chris Nowinski would not approve of this interview. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I mean, but also... Most Sid promos kind of felt sounded like he'd already been hit with a headshot by something prior <laughs> to that, anyway. So, I, luckily, it wasn't that much of a difference. I think, yeah, uh, Sid. They should shoot an angle where Sid gets a concussion before every one of his promos, just to make it work continuity wise. It's like Goldberg hitting his head before he walks out to the ring <laughs> on the locker. <laughs> Uh, back out in the arena, Ernest Miller enters for his Why Are We Watching This Show match of the week. Miller gets on the mic and brags about knowing James Brown, even though none of these rednecks believed him. Ernest tells a fat girl in the front row to sit down with all of her hot dogs, or he'll use a tow truck to take her out of the building. In case you didn't know, Miller is the babyface in this program. <laughs> Miller then replays the Super Brawl footage of himself dancing with James Brown. Miller then dances again, but he is cut off by the Maestro's music. The Maestro and Symphony make their way down, and Maestro is now sporting a wacky hairdo to prove that he's gone crazy. The Cat takes all the offense in this one. He hits a body slam and an elbow drop. Symphony then sets up a boombox and starts to play Three Counts theme. This sound causes Maestro to lose his equilibrium, and he begins, and he begins flapping around the ring. Maestro then grabs the boombox and, hit, and hits Cat with it for the pin. Um... Again, uh, this match, this time, easily could have been given to Booker and Kidman. Uh, I have, I can't defend this being on the show at all. Uh, at least with some of the other terrible matches, the David Flair one, at least it played into the Night of Champions concept. This, utter, totally pointless. You're not a fan of Broken Maestro over there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this was the continuation of a feud that nobody... Nobody asked for. Like I think the resolution should have been, you know, at, at Super Brawl with James Brown. But no, we have to continue this. And outside of the cat and uh, his mic work, which I'm, I'm still a fan of, and the boombox being used as an offensive weapon, uh, there there was nothing here. Although I, I because I, yes, if I was booking it at the time, yeah, nothing there. 
since I was forced to watch this episode, it was nice to get a little bit of the cat talking crap to someone in the audience. It, it, that was one of those things. I was like, oh, I missed the cat. I liked him. Backstage in Lex Luger's locker room, he and Liz are unable to find Sting's bat. Earlier today, Billy Kidman says that Sid could beat Tank in a basketball game, but he's picking Tank to win in a fight. Sid Vicious or Tank Abbott? Well, if it's a basketball game, I'd have to go with Sid Vicious. But from what I've learned, you never underestimate the small man in the fight. I'm going with Tank. Why didn't more people take this tactic? What other top... How other? How would Sid be better than Tank at various things? <laughs> Obviously, he'd be better at softball than Tank. Well, I would take Tank uh, in a pie-eating contest, but I think Sid's going to win in a professional wrestling match here on a professional wrestling program. <laughs> I like think Sid would win in like a, a, a um, bodybuilding competition. You've seen those pictures of him all buff. <laughs> if, if this were a game of uh, categories, obviously Tank has the advantage there. <laughs> I think Tank could win in a jumping off of the top rope and landing on his feet contest. As we know, Sid was. Uh... <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so too, uh... too soon, Brian. It's too soon. <laughs> too soon. Sixteen years is too soon, buddy. <laughs> So Flair comes out carrying Hulk's weightlifting belt that he stole last week. Uh, Henning then makes his way out for his first Nitro match in two months. Henning gets a shoulder block and the early advantage. Kurt follows up with chops in the corner. Henning then works over the knee of Flair. Flair pokes Henning in the eye, and the two then trade shots. These two, uh, this match certainly wasn't reinventing the wheel, but it was a solid match, and the crowd was getting into it. Flair whips Henning into the corner, but Nick Patrick gets sandwiched between the two and takes a bump. Henning then hits a Henning plex, but Nick Patrick is down. The total package enters the ring and breaks up the pin. Proving to be a shitty stablemate, Luger just walks away and, and, and doesn't stick around to make sure that uh, his guy wins. Henning then grabs a chair at ringside. Uh, Henning throws it into the ring, but Nick Patrick grabs it. With Patrick distracted, Flair is able to land a low blow, and he pins Henning for the win. I mean, I get why Luger came out, but it kind of seemed pointless. I mean, why did he need to break up a pin that the referee was down for uh, if it's going to end with... I don't know. I, I would have preferred no uh luger uh, interference but you know this was this was good this was two guys doing a match they could do with their eyes closed and i enjoyed it i also enjoyed it i was glad to see uh two legends of wcw uh mixing it up in the ring the only thing that really bothered me with this and i know it's wrestling and it's nitpicking but you know it ended with the low blow and then uh hennig went unconscious for some reason. Now, I know you guys know what it's like to get uh, low blowed, and it's never made anyone go unconscious. Like, like he literally, it's not that he was rolling around in pain, like, with his, you know, holding his nuts or anything like that. I could see not kicking out after a nut shot, but, but to be completely unconscious from a nut, nut shot is pretty extreme. Maybe he was laying there realizing that he said he would run naked through the streets next week if he lost a match that he knew he was going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that that's definitely very well possible. But yeah, no, it just, I mean, I know it is possible. Like the other day, my girlfriend, we were at home and she hit her knee on something and was like freaking out. And then she passed out from it, like in the middle of freaking out and like fainted. So I guess like you can go unconscious from a weird situation like that. But I don't know. It just, I, 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 I found it hard to believe. Earlier today, Ming was asked who he thinks is going to win the match, and uh, he refused to say. This is going to be a match to watch. The ultimate fighter, talk about Tang Abbott, and you're talking about the heavyweight of WCW Services. You know, who's going to win? I'd like to see this match. I'll sit back, and I would like to see them kick the hell out of each other. That's what I want to see. 
Back at the Buckeye Cafe, Disco is on stage dancing while Ricky Rackman berates his dance moves. Meanwhile, Three Count are dancing as sexy co-ads begin to undress the boy band. The crowd of insecure frat boys boo this sight of seeing another man's chest. Then, just to prove that this was taking place in the year 2000, Ricky Rackman stage dove into the crowd, his chain wallet swinging in the breeze, while the Nitro Girls came on stage as a Kid Rock track played in the background. How could I have forgotten that? I don't know how I could have forgotten that. I'm offended (laughs) that I asked earlier now. And it was the Kid Rock uh, song from the WCW Mayhem uh, CD, by the way. I'll give credit to these nitro parties we put them over in the beginning but these vignettes in this show long storyline would have convinced me to stay home if one of these things was in my area imagine like yeah it, it might come across as like uh corny or cheesy to us as the viewer but imagine being there man imagine being in the presence of ricky rackman and, and not just ricky rackman but you got Disco Inferno, you got Three Count, and most importantly, we have the Nitro Girls. And I'm not going to get back into our Nitro Girl dissertation from a few episodes ago. But yes, this, this seemed like the place to be if you're in Columbus, Ohio on a Saturday night. Yes, 30-year-old me watching this you know, 15 years later, yeah, I'm like, Ugh, why would I? No, I would never want to go there. But like 15-year-old me who was watching this in 2000... Even for Disco Inferno, I was excited for this. Like, I would have probably wanted to go if it was in my town. Hey, listen, if you just wait 17 years, you can get in political arguments with him on Twitter, you know, so <laughs> same thing. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 we were, I was on Coach show the other day, and he called me a social justice warrior, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we actually had Disco on uh, Review America, but the interview got corrupted, and we weren't able to put it out. But uh, no, it was. Inter- I, I agree. It, it is weird. I, I feel for both of us that we grew up watching this, you know, comedy mid Carter, and here we are chatting politics with them. Seventeen years later, it's it's yeah, weird what the it, country's done to us. It is a definite weird scenario. Just in general, when I'm talking to you know some of these guys, you know, you're we're you know you're friendly with now. Like we're talking about three count and Shane Helms. You know, I've talked to a bunch of times. You know, just on Twitter and stuff like that. And it's 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 funny to go back and. And to see them and remember what why you originally into them altogether. So yeah, chat, chatting about politics as, as dumb as disco is about them is fun. <laughs> uh, see now, I just want I just want like a, a a stage or a forum where we get three counts thoughts on the healthcare uh, debate and just Shane Helms up there. You know, healthcare is much like our hit song. You know, sometimes you just can't get it out of your head. I've already <laughs> I've already come to terms with the fact that. Anyone I see on Nitro in the year 2000 probably voted for Trump. Like, I've just, I've accepted that. Like, there's no two ways about it. <laughs> Sid did. Tank did. Luger did. Oh, they all did. They all did. 100,000%. Probably Stacey Keebler. Helms, the only one who didn't, Shane Helms. Uh, Shane Helms definitely did not. He talks about it publicly. Uh, I'm going to say Stacey Keebler, maybe. Uh, Norman Smiley, probably not. Uh... Where do you think? Where do you think the artist stands? I think Big T did mm. vote for Trump, though. I'll say. I'll say Wait, Big no, T no, voted for Trump. See, see, that that's where you're wrong, Brian. Big T is not allowed to vote because he's a felon. Oh, good point. <laughs> I forgot <true>. about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the artist. Um, ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I'm gonna I, say. I feel like did. He's got, he was a Hillary guy. He was a Hillary guy. You think so? Because that's the other thing. You got You got to take all these characters and add 17 years onto them. And he's like a business owner, if I recall. Like he has like a boat business in Hawaii or something along those lines. Yeah, it's yeah. I guess you're right. Well, he's from yeah. Hawaii. He probably was an Obama supporter, though. Yeah, that, 
That's true. That's true. But listen, if you're the artist and you're listening, reach out to us, DM us, let us know who you voted for. I'm gonna guess that the, the artist didn't vote. That's actually what. That I'm is probably for. more likely. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna take it a step further, Brian. Don't just DM us. Come on the show because I think we need. <laughs> To have the artist formerly known as Prince Ikea appear on the satellite of hate so we can get a first-hand perspective of what's gone on in this man's life. Well, that's that's part of the thing. We made a conscious decision with this podcast to not really talk about politics. We wanted this to be like a safe space. But if any WCW roster would like to come on and talk politics, we'll allow that. That's where we'll, we'll, we'll cross the, the, the stream. You might want to add an addendum to like besides disco on that one because it, it, it'll, it, it'll just drive you crazy. Trust me. I've been there a bunch of times. Well, loud and proud Trump supporter the Total Package makes his way down, and he does his <laughs> usual pose down. Out next is Buff Bagwell for a battle of the wellness failures. As the bell rings, Buff continues to flirt with Lex. Package gets the early advantage and instantly goes for a side headlock. The crowd chants Luger sucks as Buff comes back with a pair of drop kicks. Package sends Buff to the floor, and these two just brawl around the ring. Luger slams Buff into the announcer's table and chucks and chokes Buff with a cable. The Luger sucks chants come back, and the crowd noise is instantly turned down. So I guess Turner was not a fan of that phrase. Luger then uh, locks in a camel clutch for the entire second hour of the show. Buff comes back with a swinging neckbreaker. Buff lands a splash in the corner, but Liz puts package's foot on the rope to prevent a pin rick flair then comes down but buff takes him out rick then clips buff's leg and the ref calls for a dq sting then runs down for his big return as mark madden calls him a poor man's james con really putting him over there flair notices sting but luger does not luger then places a steel chair on buff's arm to break it something that he already did a month ago but we have chosen to forget about that Sting's music plays, and the Stinger comically bonks Luger on the head with his baseball bat. Luger begs off Sting, but the man in black lays out the total package. And there you have it, Nate. Sting is officially back. And I know we really weren't saying this back in 2000, but if this were, uh, you know, if, if this were occurring right now in 2017, I would immediately have gone to Twitter and, and been like, uh, who did this? Whose fault is this? Because... If we like, and, and, and it goes back to what Ryan was saying about the Harrises. Like, if you're going to have the Harrises just interfere and ruin good matches, why not just have Sting come out and just totally interfere in this match and, uh, you know, go after Luger? Like, the whole cloak and dagger, I'm going to skulk around, I'm going to hide, you can't see me. Like, Peekaboo Sting, John Cena Sting is not what I'm here for. You know, <laughs> if, if, we've been building up for at least two months since we've been doing this show. At least two months building up the return of this guy and for him to kind of come back in a almost cowardly fashion, I didn't like it. I think if, if you're going to have him interfere, you should have just had him come in and, and take uh, take Luger out during the match. Yeah, that was like the theme of the night was lackluster return because we started it off with you know Kurt Hennig in the beginning and then this was just like such like a meh kind of a thing like what like that wasn't cool like you guys have been hyping this up for so long like that's what we got like meh like what was his plan if flair hadn't interfered like what if buff had just won legit <laughs> would sting had like texted tony and said sorry next week maybe <laughs> <laughs> like it should have like that should have been honestly if if they were really uh if they were really about the business of, of promoting Sting, and I know I don't uh, I know you love this main event, Brian Man, 
uh, I would have had this go last if they were going to do it the correct way. Yeah, no, I, I, no, I'm with you on that. I, I agree that the sting should have been the ending. Like they, it's something they built up for two months, and I know that that they built up this Tank Abbott thing the whole episode, but. Uh, you know, Sting is Sting, you know, it shouldn't be a throwaway moment like that. Backstage, Sid and Tank make their way to the ring. Tank is the first one out for the main event, and his entrance is a little bit different this week because he decided to ride out on his motorcycle. Now, we've seen this before, Taker did it for many years, and DOA did this, did it before him, but um, I don't think I've ever seen anyone do this shirtless, and that really makes all the difference in the world. <laughs> He looks such a fucking redneck slob. Yeah, it, it was like it was like when you see uh, like some hillbilly like mud fest, and there's like a guy rolling around on his shirt with like a trucker hat and a, a Miller Lite. Like it was it was it was off putting watching him on the motorcycle with no shirt. Oh, see now I'm 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 almost ashamed that we're having these great ideas 17 years later, but if I were in charge of WCW and I had access to Ted Turner's money and granted the SmackDown versus Raw video game hadn't come out yet, so I wouldn't have had this idea in my head, but I would have poached one of the uh, storylines from uh, one of those Road to WrestleMania seasons and had Tank Abbott actually come out in a tank. But you can't do that every week. You can do it like Rusev did it at WrestleMania, but you can't do that at the Target Center. Hey, it's Tank Abbott. This is this is your main eventer, Tank Abbott. Why 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 be cheap? And you got Ted Turner money, dude. Like Ted Turner, he was like balling back then. If if Master P can roll around a tank at, at his concerts and stuff like that, then Tank Abbott. Can oh, have wait a minute, tank. wait a minute. Are you are you saying what I think you're saying, Ryan Satin? That Tank it's, Abbott. Should have been in the No Limit Soldiers. Yeah, Master P could just lent them his tank. Yeah. Oh man, that was such a missed opportunity. Now, all of this being said, uh, I think this actually looked better than the normal uh, tank habit entrance. So, if you had covered up his upper body, I I would have been fine with him riding a motorcycle every (laughs) single week because this was like three months before Undertaker came back doing the motorcycle thing. So, this who knows? Maybe maybe uh, Taker got it from uh, from Tank. Yeah, was he the OG on this biker thing? Was he the first to do it? Uh, DOA did it before. Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Duh. So maybe the Harrises gave the idea to Tank yeah. when he showed up on a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. On commentary, Mark Madden says something that really needs to be saved for prosperity's sake. I My jaw dropped to the floor when Mark Madden said this. I cannot believe this match is taking place. And I can't believe Sid's got to go into it with his bell rung already. You read the medical sports journals, post-concussion syndrome, stuff like that. Sid's taking a very dangerous risk here. (laughs) This is February 2000, eight years before WWE banned headshots. Mark Madden is concerned about post-concussion syndrome on this Nitro. Well, at least that shows that he did have some journalistic uh, integrity when he back then, and that he was still like kind of a journalist because I mean that that's yeah that was surprising to me too, especially in a show where we see people getting hit in the head the whole entire show. I, I love that Mark Madden had, took a break from his normal tendencies to uh, be lecherous towards uh, underage girls and to actually come up with a cogent point like it it, it like why wouldn't mike today on that like like that that's, that should have been your spot professor 
If anything, Mark Madden's giving better medical advice than the WCW doctors backstage because they're still allowing him to have this match. <laughs> that's actually that's a really good point. Yeah, that he, he definitely should have said something instead of just on commentary. He should have maybe passed the note along to Sid. So a punch drunk Sid makes his way out with taped ribs while the announcers stress that he is not 100%. Tank attacks Sid from behind with punches to the ribs, and he gets him in a front face lock. Tank then lets Sid get to his feet, but he punches Sid so fucking hard he goes right over the top rope. Sid crawls back in the ring, but Tank scoops him up and plants him to the ground. Sid's getting absolutely no offense. It's all Tank. Tank stands on Sid's back and pulls his hair before applying a camel clutch. Sid gets to his knees, but Tank just forearms him in the back. Tank trash talks Sid in the corner before blasting him with body blows. And and honestly, for the first time, Nate, I, it's, I thought Tank was a really good heel here, and the crowd's actually getting into it. And this was by far the best match we've seen from Tank Abbott up until this point. Uh, he, he, he um, you know, at this point, he then uh, starts yelling at the crowd. He's getting heat, and this allows Sid to get to his feet and apply a sleeper. Tank then goes to the mat in an attempt to break the hold, but Sid transitions into a crossface. Uh, this is literally the first move that Sid has hit in the entire match, so the crowd doesn't really react. And then Tank Abbott taps out. <laughs> Sid gets his belt and celebrates. And we go off the air. What the fuck mm. was that finish? I'm not saying the tank <laughs> should have won the belt here, but when this guy's been the unstoppable killing machine and is having, like, he's ragdolling your champ for a while here, and then he taps out to the first offensive move from the other dude? What was, I I don't know, like, maybe it's because I'm just down on this Jarrett program. I personally would have preferred Sid Vicious and Tank Abbott to be the main event of Uncensored rather than the Jeff Jarrett match, personally. But the first time you're taking a risk on Tank, putting him in a main event, giving him this much offense, and you don't even do a finish that protects him in any way whatsoever? Well, you you mentioned it earlier in the episode when I was asking you about where Tank was in his WCW career at this point, and you likened it to Braun Strowman, and... It's very similar to Braun Strowman losing to Roman Reigns at Fastlane where it's like they had been building up this monster and he's had all this stuff and the people are kind of into him. And, and like you said, this was a good – it wasn't a bad match and, and, and he looked like a badass in it. You know, like he looked like he was kicking the crap out of Sid Vicious the whole time. So I was like into it and then he just wasn't protected at all like you said. And it was very similar to me on how Braun Strowman lost and it was just kind of like – yeah, he lost to Roman Reigns to help Roman Reigns look tough for The Undertaker at WrestleMania. And that's kind of what happened here, where it was like he's just kind of helping Sid Vicious look more tough to go against Jeff Jarrett. And it just the decision to do that didn't make sense to me. And I'd, I'd say this is even worse than what uh, the WWE did with Braun, because at least then it was, you know, Braun lost in a, in a power match. You know, it was a it was a brawl. But here we're seeing Sid Vicious break out submission moves that heretofore have uh, been non-existent. Uh, or at least, uh, you know, he's, he's had these submission skills at a uh, beginner level. And he's able to not just beat this guy that is supposedly this up-and-coming contender, but he choked out the MMA guy. Like, the one guy on the roster that should know how to get out of a sleeper hold or a choke hold or a crossface, like... He beat that guy using the tools of his former trade. And so, yeah, this match for a Tank Abbott match, it was better than I expected. But overall, if you know, we're looking at what what is the goal of this. Is it to 
make Sid look strong. I don't even think he'd accomplish that because the match just ended so abruptly. I think you had Tank coming out looking worse than when he came in, and Sid really didn't gain a whole hell of a lot from the victory. And, and you know, to be fair, you know, Tank at least does come from came from a different time of MMA where uh, he was much more of like punching people out, and if he got knocked to the ground, he was done. Like he was like that knockout guy, not necessarily a submission guy. But you would think he would have picked up a little bit, like you said. And I, I almost feel like the reason they ended with a submission move so abruptly was because Tank was still green and maybe he couldn't take the powerbomb legitimately yet. So they had to figure out a, a way around it. Yeah, this was like one of those things where like I honestly probably would have advocated for a non-finish here. I mean, we spent so much time building up these injuries and we really put them over. And in a way, I almost felt like that would have been to protect uh sid in some way almost to the point like if you had done something where sid like legitimately just like passes out in the match like the 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 uh referee just decides this guy can't continue and you do something where like the belt doesn't uh change hands or you do a thing where it was like jeff swerved him and jeff actually hasn't left the building he's still there or something like that and if you could have done something that allowed Tank to also then spin out into another program. I think that's the other thing that hurt here is that Tank was left with nothing in the end. He has no sort of claim for a rematch. Um, he tapped out straight, so he gave up. There, there's there's nothing there that could push Tank forward into something else. If someone had interfered, maybe, and you could spin off a program that way. But I think that's the thing that hurt is that we spend all night and we've tried we've treated Tank more seriously than we have at any other point just to be fed to Sid. Um, and it's tough because if you had told, like, you know, based on Tank standing before this episode, I probably wouldn't have had an issue. But the fact that he's been treated so well uh, this entire episode, you kind of would wish that they would actually follow through on that afterwards uh, in, instead of, um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it was just, it was disappointing that for the first time, Tank is being treated seriously and it's just to tap out two hours later. Yeah, and it, it, I, I also, while I was watching it, you know, I didn't have this fond memory of Tank Abbott like I had said in the beginning, but because of all those vignettes and, you know, Mang and everyone talking about him, uh, it, it actually did get him over with me. So I, I felt the same way at the end of the day on this. I, I almost felt like, I was like, man, if he had been around now, like if he was in his prime now, Tank Abbott, like he would have been, and in WWE, he would be like, someone Vince would love now because he, he's believable as someone who could kick the crap out of you and uh, similar to a Goldberg or a Brock Lesnar. So, I, yeah, I felt the same way that it kind of sucked that there was nothing that there was nothing really for him afterwards. And as we know, sooner or later, he'll be stuck with uh, three counts. So, <laughs> we, you know, down on the finish, but I still got to say overall, this show long storyline, it gave the show purpose and there's little things that I liked. Uh, I liked the concept of the nitro parties, um, but that's where we're at now. Uh, this is our silver lining. We have to say what we liked on the show, something that we can single out as a unqualified positive. And uh, Ryan, we'll start with you. What was your silver lining? My silver lining would have to be Tank Abbott. You know, I mean, I always had this this terrible memory of him. And even when they were hyping him up, I had this, like, sour look on my face of, like, eh, okay. And then as each one went along, it was like, okay, well, I guess 
yeah, I guess he is kind of a badass. And then even this match, you know, besides the terrible finish, it was a pretty good match for, for a guy like Tank Abbott, who was kind of green at the time. So, you know, I, my silver line in the show was Tank Abbott. I, you know, there's always that talk of Vince Russo saying that uh, he wanted to make Tank Abbott the champion when he had that whole problem at the, the Bash of the Beach or whatever, if I recall. Um, and I always, you, everyone always laughs about it. And this was the first time where I was watching it with a different eye and, and thinking, okay, well, yeah, I could see that. He was a badass, uh, cool guy, tough guy. Silver lining was Tank Abbott. Uh, I think my silver lining, brother man, would have to be, uh, and this this is an indica- indication and an indictment of this show, where you have Sting returning. And for those that are new to the program, Sting is by far my all-time favorite professional wrestler and one of my all-time favorite human beings on planet Earth. So for his return to not be my silver lining means they really screw that up. Uh, but my my uh, silver lining is going to be Jared and Vampiro. Uh, I thought it was the best match on the show by far. I thought that, uh, you know, had we gotten more of stuff like that and less of the Harrises and less of David Flair and less of just some of the nonsense that takes place on these Nitros week to week, you'd have a much better product. So uh, I'm, I'm going to give my uh, silver lining to Vamp and uh, Double J this week. Yeah, and I'm kind of there in the middle Um my my two were Tank and Vampiro. I thought were both uh, very good. Uh, I, I, I it's tough because for me because uh, both kind of saw pretty piss poor ends to their push on the uh, episode. I mean, Vampiro gets taken out by Finley out of nowhere, and uh, the issue with the tank finish that we just said. Um, but yeah, I'm probably gonna have to go uh, with Tank Abbott here because they, they they treated him well. And something I thought was an interesting choice that I think actually helped was. They didn't give Tank any promo time ahead of time. They didn't talk to him, and uh, you can say that's you know maybe that's because of his promo ability. But the fact that they had other people kind of talking for him, uh, talking up the match, and we got an interview with Sid, but we didn't get an interview with Tank. I thought was really smart booking of him. So it's a shame because for one night they did everything right with this guy, and and that's how uh, that's how they paid it off in the end. But you know. Uh, that being said, it's always a bittersweet ending here on each episode of Keep It 2000. Uh, but, I was going to uh, say, how did your silver lining end up on a negative note? Well, okay. <laughs> Positively, Tank Abbott. Let's just end it there. My, my, my silver lining was Tank Abbott. Ending on another positive note, uh, Ryan, I want to thank you for uh, coming on the show today. This has been a blast. It's been a real great uh, conversation. Um, and I just want to, you know, before we, we, we say goodbye, I got to ask – Having sat through one of these episodes, what advice do you have for the two of us as we continue down the road on our uh, experiment here? Well, I would just say that if you do if you do continue to watch all of them, just remember if you break any glass beforehand and don't let WCW Nitro get you so discombobulated in your head that you forget – that you've got a whole bunch of sharp glass in your trash can before you throw it away because you'll end up in the ER like me beforehand. So so uh, be safe in, in the rest of your watching. And, Ryan, if people want more of you in their life, uh, where can they find you online? Uh, obviously, uh, Pro Wrestling Sheet, but uh, just your, 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 your social and uh, anything else you want to uh, plug there. 
Yep, you can find me at Ryan Satin on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and you can find my website, ProWrestlingSheet.com. It's at Wrestling Sheet on all social media as well. And you can find my show. It's live every Thursday on Dash Radio. It's called Wrestling Sheet Radio on Hot Button Station from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And the best moments are on iTunes. Every week, it's called The Sheet Podcast. And also, last plug, you can find me every week also on Mondays on Lillian Garcia's new podcast called Making Their Way to the Ring. You can watch the video on AfterBuzz TV or find the podcast on iTunes. And uh, in terms of uh, where to find the two of us, uh, I am still at Brian Maxman, pretty much on all social handles there. And Nate, uh, I always try to say it, but you've got those weird numbers and Zs, and I, you, 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 you let people know where to find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at in the number eight M O Z A I K at Nate Mosaic. Uh, if you want to talk wrestling, sports, politics, uh, and if you are Prince Iakea, uh, get at me, dog. Well, thank you once again to Ryan for stopping by, and thank you for listening. We will be back uh, before you know it with another episode of this Nitro. We are now starting the month of March. We are two months down, Nate. We are. We're slashing them. We are 10 months left is all we got left. We're almost there, uh, buddy. But as we have reached Mm. the end of this episode, Nate, give the people the truth. Let them know those words of wisdom they need to hold themselves over until the next episode of Keep It 2000. Yes, I want to thank everybody, as always, for listening and and downloading the show and checking us out. Uh, we, We bid adieu to Black History Month in 2000, but we look ahead to the madness that WCW will give us in March. And so I'm going to leave us with the words of the Red Hot Chili Peppers as, as a uh, shout-out to not only that massive hit Californication, but to our guest this week, uh, Brother Ryan Satin. And it's from the hit, The Other Side. How long, how long will I slide? Separate my side. I don't, I don't believe it's bad. I might slip my finger. It's all I ever had. I heard your voice through a photograph. I've brought it up and thought about it in the past. But once you know, you can never go back. I've got to take it on the other side. Keep It 2000 is a live audio wrestling production. Executive produced by John Pollock and edited by Brian Mann. Theme song by Chris Urbanovitz. For more shows, check out liveaudiowrestling.com or subscribe on iTunes. That's why this company's in the damn shape it's in because of bullshit like this. <laughs>